Frank Mintloner, Twitter handle at GHGGuru, isn't being shy in the climate debate. The professor and air quality extension specialist at the Department of Animal Science at the University of California, Davis, is calling out misperceptions and distortions in the climate change debate. We interviewed him before his address at the National Milk Producers Federation annual meeting in New Orleans, and he was ready to make his case for the dairy community and the world. So a really basic question is, in the work that you do, um, what are some of the main misconceptions you hear about dairy's role in climate change, and why are there those misconceptions? Well, the misconceptions I hear is that uh, dairy is one of the main culprits of climate change, and um, dairy is most often mentioned along with beef. And I think that this is uh, just false, and uh, the reason why that's false is that what they emit namely methane, is part of what we call a biogenic carbon cycle. Now think about plants and what plants need to grow. They need sunlight, they need CO2 carbon dioxide, and they need water. These three things, sunlight, CO2, and, and water. And then that carbon from the CO2 is converted into carbohydrates in the plant, cellulose. And then sooner or later that cow eats that plant and a part of that carbon that was originally in the CO2 that became carbohydrate is now belched out as methane. And then that methane comes out of the cow, is converted back into CO2, it goes back into plants, back into the cows, back into the atmosphere. It's a cycle. Okay? And this is distinctively, this is distinctively different from the greenhouse gases that come from sources such as oil, coal and gas which were stored in the ground for hundreds of millions of years. We are extracting them, we are burning them, we are putting them in the atmosphere. That's a one-way street. Comparing cows versus cars is a major flaw. Most people should and do know that it's a flaw, they use it anyhow. Why? That's a good question. You have to ask them that, but uh, it's pretty apparent to me that because of the fact that many people who do use those comparisons sell alternatives to dairy milk, or alternatives to beef, um, it is apparent to me that there is a financial interest in, in many of these cases. So put this in perspective for us. Among factors that are heating the planet, dairy is... So in the United States, dairy is 2% of a contributor to greenhouse gases. The use of oil, coal and gas is 80%, 8-0. So that's the most direct comparison I can give you. So 2% is not nothing, it's something. We know what it is, we have studied it in and out. We know every detail about the impact of dairies on greenhouse gases, on air and water pollutants and so forth. We know what these impacts are and we know how to further mitigate those. And that's a remarkable achievement alone, coupled with further reduction goals of major proportions. US-wide 25%, in California 40% of reduction goals exist for greenhouse gases. And not just are these some numbers that are unachievable, but for example in California, while our goal is to reduce, let's say, methane by 40% by the year 2030, we are already more than halfway there. We have already reduced 25 of the 40%. So, not just do we talk the talk, but our farmers are walking it in a major way. So you're talking about California. California is a major dairy producer, of course. It's also a major producer of, say, almonds. 
Um, so you have a lot of farmers with a lot of different products that they're looking at, and they're all looking at it in the context of, of climate change and emissions. Contrast the carbon footprint of a glass of milk with, say, an almond-based beverage. It is true that a glass of almond beverage uh, has an order of magnitude 10 times lower carbon footprint compared to the dairy milk. That is true. But the almond beverage has a 17, that's one seven, a 17 times higher water footprint compared to the, the glass of dairy. So on the one hand, almond versus dairy has a 10 times lower carbon footprint, but a 17 times higher water footprint. If you live in a place like California, where we are really short on water, uh, then you can't just say, well, let's just focus on climate and forget the water. That's just not possible. We should not pitch the one versus the other. That's my take-home message here. But we should understand that everything we grow will come with an environmental uh, externality attached to it. That's just the way it is. And we have to be clear about it and we have to be honest about it. People, particularly those who are anti-animal agriculture, like to focus in on dairy, on beef, and they totally keep out of sight that everything we consume has an environmental footprint. For example, if you produce a bottle of wine, it takes 700 liters of water to grow that, those grapes and make that bottle of wine, 700 liters of water. Now, I don't even want to talk about what it takes environmentally to grow a pound of coffee or tea. Clearly not uh, consumption items that we must have or that are nutritionally important to us. We like to consume them, but they have no nutritious value. Yet they have a fantastic environmental footprint with respect to water demand uh, and demand for everything else and externalities. Of course, we don't want to focus about that because everybody loves and consumes it. As you learn more about um, these issues on climate, um, you pointed out dairy, 2% uh, of contributions, yes. uh, dwarfed by the transportation sector, um, where a lot of focus should properly be placed. And yet you do have that 2% and everybody wants to be a good steward of the planet. So when you're looking at that 2% and you're looking at dairy, how does dairy end up being part of the solution on climate change issues? I, I want to be very clear first that uh, while 2% doesn't sound like very much, 2% is still something, okay? And the dairy industry has owned it. They have identified what their footprint is and they have committed to these further reductions. And now comes the real interesting angle. If you increase methane because you're adding new cows, let's say to a country like the United States, then you are really having a very negative impact on climate because methane is so potent as gas. If you reduce methane, if you reduce methane, and we have been doing this for a long time by reducing numbers of cows, if you reduce methane, you induce something called global cooling. What that means is if you reduce methane, then you're pretty much poking a hole through a blanket of greenhouse gases that surrounds us, allowing solar radiation that comes in from space, that is normally reflected off and normally would go back into space, and that is normally kept back by a blanket of greenhouse gases, you now allow a good amount of that radiant heat from the sun to escape back into space. And that's called global cooling, okay? So 
if you manage to reduce methane, and we have been for a long time, then not just don't you add additional new warming, but you are inducing cooling. That means the dairy sector can actually be a real solution provider, counteracting some of the other culprits of warming, such as transportation, power production and use, and so forth. Where is your research going to take you next? One of the issues that I'm investigating is how we reduce things like methane from dairy storages, from waste storages. For example, in the state of California, it's now incentivized to trap those gases that would normally come off those waste storages using covered lagoon as a principle, for example. You trap that gas from going into the atmosphere you are converting it into fuel, into renewable natural gas, and then you are displacing, let's say, diesel in the vehicle fleet with that renewable natural gas from the dairies. If you do so, you get a massive incentive payment. A massive incentive payment, which is so large that I would consider this a new gold rush that's happening in California as we speak. There are now dozens of new digesters popping up all over the state, benefiting from these uh, incentives, financial incentives, of converting something that was an environmental liability before, namely gases just coming off a lagoon, into an acid, which is the harnessed renewable natural gas that's now displacing diesel and other transportation fuels. Some of my research goes into this direction. Others, uh, other efforts are more in the, in the realm of reducing greenhouse gases, let's say, from enteric sources, meaning uh, we're trying different feed additives that affect the microbiology in the rumen in a way that the animal belches out less methane or uh, in a way that make her manure produce less methane. It's not all about methane, but right now the, the, the focus really is on methane. And last not least, significant effort in my lab is on rethinking the entire methane issue. Uh, because we know that over the last few decades, people have only considered the heat-trapping potency of that gas and comparing that to other gases. They have never really looked into the lifespan differences with methane only being in the air and active for 10 years, whereas CO2 is in the air for 1,000 years. And that has profound impacts on how we account for that gas and how we treat that gas and so forth. And so some of my research is public policy influencing. Thank you very much. And given that your uh, work is public policy uh, influencing, be sure to stop by the next time you're in Washington, D.C. We're just down the road. Will do. Thank you very much. That was Frank Mitloner, professor at the Department of Animal Science at the University of California, Davis. You can follow him on Twitter at GHGGuru. And you can listen to us wherever you're listening to us. That was this week's Dairy Defined podcast. Talk to you in a couple weeks.